Hi, this is Howard Jacobson. I'm delighted to be joined today on the phone by Michelle Simon. Hello, Michelle. Hi there. So Michelle is a public health lawyer, the author of a book, Appetite for Profit, and the president of the watchdog consulting business, Eat, Drink, Politics. Um, and so your work came to my attention. I, I've sort of been on my radar for a while, but I just saw a, uh, a, a piece that you did about the... Um, the former American Dietetic Association, I guess now the uh, Academy of, Di- of Nutrition and Dietetics, um, in which you really took them to task for the industry influence and ties that they have. So the first first question is, almost nobody's heard of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Why does it even matter, you know, who they are and what they do? Sure. Well, the reason it matters is that they represent 74,000 of this nation's nutrition professionals. These are registered dietitians whose job it is is to help Americans eat right. So these professionals are on the front lines, whether they're working in hospitals, clinics, you know, one-on-one consulting with clients and so forth. They are the conduit through which many Americans receive nutrition advice. So I thought it would be a good idea to take a look at who exactly is influencing them because as it turns out, it's not exactly the people you would expect that might be giving good nutrition advice. Hmm. So um, what what did you find out when you when you looked at uh, how how they get their education and I guess their continuing education as well? Mm-hmm. Well, I had been hearing for years that their annual meeting uh, is really a big junk food expo. People have been sending me photos, and so I decided to to take a look for myself. And so I went two years in a row and found that to be the case. So you know, normally you walk into a trade show floor and. For a health professional organization, you might see some pharmaceutical booths, maybe lots of educational booths, some journals, books, etc. Here you walk in and you think you're in the wrong place. So the first thing you see are these massive booths hosted by the likes of Coca-Cola, Hershey's, PepsiCo, Nestle, Kraft Foods, all of the major junk food and sugary beverage purveyors are the main sponsors and have the largest booths at this trade show. And so right there, you know, there's a problem. And then on top of that, many of these same groups also actually host or sponsor educational sessions at this conference. So, you know, I went to one session that was all about, you know, the so-called dairy crisis, right? How come uh, dairy consumption is going down and, oh, my God, what are we going to do about it? Well, no surprise, that was brought to you by, you know, the National Dairy Council and others that are employed by the dairy industry to bring you that message and to, to pop up the dairy industry. And then uh, what I also found is not only is it a problem just, you know, once a year at this huge annual meeting, by the way, where some 10 to 13,000 RDs attend. Um, but in addition, over the course of the year, there, the Academy has sponsors that give ongoing continuing education sessions. So Coca-Cola is particularly um, good at this. So they host webinars for registered dietitians for them to earn continuing education units, which they have to do to keep up with their profession. So you can take a webinar and get CEUs from the likes of Coca-Cola on issues like why aspartame is perfectly safe and fine, you know, how um, sugar is really not a problem for children, and so forth. So in other words, these sorts of nutrition messages obviously completely biased in Coca-Cola's favor of what um, RDs are learning and earning and earning continuing education units for. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I was when I, when I was researching um, some some of the facts for the book Whole. We, we I looked at um, the education providers approved by the uh, the AND, and and you know I was just shocked that they weren't using you know better names, like they were calling themselves the Coca-Cola Beverage Institute for Health and Wellness, the Nestle Healthcare Nutrition Company. They're not even trying to hide it. Yeah. Well, some of them are more clever than others. So there's, I don't know if you saw, the, the Bell Institute, that one is General Mills. And then, yeah, Coca-Cola does put their name in it. But if you, you could just see the health and be- something about health, Beverage Institute, I don't remember now. But, you know, the fact that they don't have to hide it shows how insidious it is. In other words, it's perfectly acceptable, apparently, at least within the leadership of um, this nutrition group, to have these companies um, offering these sorts of educational sessions. And that's really the problem, that it's just deemed perfectly acceptable. And, you know, and yet it's not acceptable to everyone. <laughs> you know, it's not just be not just me raising questions about this. I mean, there are many other members, in fact, of the group that have been speaking out about it and aren't happy about it. And many who are not renewing their memberships or never even joined and certainly are not joining in the wake of this information coming out. And they're frustrated about it. Right. Now, one one of the things we were hearing was that the AND can effectively silence people who uh, who are not registered dietitians from uh, from from. Well, speak, there's from, a fight going on in in various states around um, this issue of licensure. So the academy wants to basically control um, who gets to give nutrition advice. So in numerous states, there are fights over state bills being proposed, for example, to require that someone who gives nutrition advice have an RD degree, whereas there are many other nutrition professionals out there that, you know, have different types of certification, what have you, um, that want to be in a similar role, and uh, the academy doesn't like that because they don't want the competition. So there are these fights going on. So while this group, you know, is um, kind of in bed with his major junk food companies, they're also trying to control uh, and keep other people from, you know, perhaps giving some better nutrition advice. Right. So at, at the conferences, did, did, did you talk to uh, RDs and kind of to assess, like, what they thought about sugar and junk food and, and how, you know, whether it was influencing the, the quality of, of their advice? Mm-hmm. I did, actually. And what was interesting was I would say almost every single RD that I just sort of casually spoke to um, was not happy. About, I mean, they were even embarrassed. I remember one RD was holding her tote bag, which had, you know, the names of the sponsors sort of against her body to not have the names <laughs> be seen, you know, because she understood that this was crazy to have you know, that she was walking around with a bag that said Coca-Cola, Hershey's, and the National Dairy Council on it. And, you know, similar reactions. And I'd say, well, you know, what are you doing about it, right? I mean, there was this um, general feeling that this was a problem. Not everyone, but most of the RDs I, I spoke to understood that this was not acceptable. And, you know, I think what I learned was that they don't feel like they have a voice. They don't even know who to go to, where to turn to make their, you know, displeasure um, heard. And so that was one of the recommendations and you know at the end of my report was that the academy needed to have more opportunities for its own members to speak out about this problem, this very real conflict of interest, and to have, you know, more open dialogue about the issue. 
Mm. So, yeah, what, so what else would it take for the A&D to, to act like a, a professional organization as opposed to a trade front group for, for junk food mm-hmm. manufacturers? Well, I think it's it's really um, only a matter of time. I mean, as I said, the, I feel like there's almost a generational divide. You know, there's sort of this um, more traditional, perhaps to some extent older, um, you know, sect <laughs> of the leadership of the academy that, you know, wants to keep doing business as usual. But then you have younger RDs coming up um, who, you know, are seeing this crisis that we're in and and realize that the food industry is largely the cause of our public health disaster due to poor diet. And they don't want to be part of this inherent conflict of interest within their own profession. So, you know, that's, that's the good news. So I do feel like there's this growing sentiment of, um, you know, maybe it's not only a generational divide, but at least there's an awakening among um, many RDs that this is a problem. And, and you know, like I said, they're saying, they're publicly stating that they are not um, renewing their memberships. I mean, there's, you know, and this is a problem for any trade group. I mean, this academy depends on membership. So unless it starts listening to its members, it really risks its own survival. And I, I firmly believe that over time, that's what will get them to, you know, stand up and take notice. And, and also, just, you know, the public shame of it. You know, I mean, this is not going away, and they have responded in a completely, um, you know, immature way by calling me out, like shooting the messenger, kind of typical industry tactics, frankly. And, you know, meanwhile, the RDs themselves are organizing, and, you know, they've started a group they're calling themselves Dietitians for Professional Integrity. They have a very active Facebook group. I mean, I've just been so uh, inspired by the response of the RDs themselves that realize this is a huge problem. So I think over time, the leadership of the academy will have to listen to that and change its ways if it wants to, you know, provide leadership for its own constituents. Mm. Well, is is it between a rock and a hard place? Is there are there sources of funding? available to them from, you know, peach growers and broccoli farmers as opposed to, you know, Coke and Nestle and Kraft? You know, the interesting thing is, you know, I tried to take a look at the financial data, at least that was that the Academy made publicly available, and it doesn't appear based on the numbers that funding is the major motivator. In other words, um, they're getting a lot of money from membership, and when they, you know, when they um, list how much money is from the sponsorship. It's it's a relatively small amount, like you know maybe even five or ten percent of their total revenue, which means they can easily just increase their membership fees by a small amount. And many RDs have said they're willing to even pay a little bit more in membership dues, you know, to not have these conflicted sponsorships. You know, another option is is to have not to do away with all sponsorships or you know just have <laughs> broccoli and tofu sponsors, but set some guidelines. You know, there um, there's a kind of a subgroup within the academy called the Hunger and Environmental Nutrition um, Dietary Practice Group, and they have guidelines for corporate sponsors. So, you know, they only take sponsors from, well, maybe they're not all organic, but, you know, that can be one criteria, right, a purveyor of organic food, just as an example. You know, it doesn't have to be an, an all-or-nothing sort of thing. The point is the current picture of sponsorship is so far, you know, off the chart of what is unacceptable that there's a lot of room for improvement. Uh huh. So is is there is there also are there other factors besides the small amount of money? Is there some sort of revolving door or influence or 
you yeah. know, the, the, the A&D certainly is more credible testifying before Congress than Coke and Pepsi CEOs. What, 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 else right. is, what else is involved besides the money? Right. Well, there's no question from the standpoint of industry. I mean, they get a lot of credibility by hitching their bandwagon to a trade group like the Academy. What is in it for and other than the money, frankly, is a little unclear. I mean, you know, that's why I, my theory is there's a bit of a generational divide that, you know, the older, um, more traditional uh, leadership people in that organization perhaps don't see a problem with closing up to these food companies. That's just how it's always been, you know, and they have deep relationships. And, you know, the truth is that many RDs go to work for the likes of Hershey's and Coke. I mean, they even encourage that within the, the academy. There was a whole session at the annual meeting about, you know, RDs who work for <laughs> Coke and Hershey's. And it was like, this is a fun, cool thing to do, you know, so... It's a cultural thing, right? That it's just it's acceptable. It's a it's a way to get a job, you know. And so why not do it? But again, that has to change. And then, you know, not to say they need to drum out all the RDs that are working for these companies, but they should not be in leadership roles. They should not be driving the train. They should certainly not be offering the continuing education units. You know, it should be a much smaller part of what goes on within that organization than it is now. Mm. And I guess a lot of these big brands have. Uh, small branches or, or uh, you know, brand extensions that are that are healthy or supposedly healthy, so that the RDs can feel like, well, you know, Pepsi has all this reach, and if we create a better breakfast bar for prenatal women or something, we're doing something noble. Right. Well, it's true that there, um, most of these major companies have, you know, by comparison, perhaps slightly less junky food and so you're right that does give an idea you know um <laughs> the rationalization let's say to promote you know baked glazed chips over fried chips but i mean but it's it's <laughs> you know it's debatable uh, how what a how much difference that even makes. And anyway, I distinctly recall at the annual meeting, um, Frito-Lay giving out bags of just straight up Fritos, uh, claiming with the claim that they were gluten free. Uh, right. So, I mean, it's like the absurdity of the claims that are being made with straight up junk food, um, really belies this idea that they can promote healthier products. Right. Someone pointed out to me that the, the in- industry seems to, to have all the money in the world to put gluten free Pack, you know, labels on its packaging, but it can't seem to scrape up a few pennies to put, you know, GMOs. <laughs> yes, they're very good at finding ways to market the, you know, call-outs and messages that they deem appropriate, but you're absolutely right. They'll scream bloody murder about doing anything else. Right. Well, Michelle, thanks so much for talking. Uh, th- a lot of what you said is, is um, reinforce, reinforcing the, the research that we did for Whole. What you bring to it is actually optimism, because after writing the chapter, the section of the chapter on the A&D, it, I, I didn't see much, uh, much light. So I'm glad you, you went and talked to people and, and mm-hmm. uh, crunched the numbers so that you see that this is, this is something that just simply can't be sustained. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, I mean, and I do think the more that, you know, we get this information out there and people are outraged about it, then that's when change happens because, you know, this this institution isn't going to be able to keep doing business as usual unless people speak out about it. Right. Well, and thanks for for your contribution to the the good fight. So uh, Michelle Simon, um, author of Appetite for Profit. You, people can find you on your Facebook page, which they just uh, type in Eat, Drink, Politics. 
Yes, that is my Facebook page and um, website, same name, eatdrinkpolitics.com, and you can link to me in all sorts of ways there. Great. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I look forward okay. to uh, to see, seeing more of your, uh, your excellent reporting and crusading uh, on behalf of all of us. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. Take care.